Welcome back to the Food Mentor Podcast. My name's David Burns, and here we are early in January 2024 as many entrepreneurs and businesses start to grapple with the pace of change with the year ahead. So change and transformation is the topic for today, and I'm delighted to be joined by Friska Wiria, the change and transformation thought leader who runs her own successful company, All Things Change. Friska has enjoyed a long career of working with teams, organisations and CEOs when it comes to change and transformation, including working with large organisations such as the University of Melbourne and Fujitsu. Today we chat with Friska about some relevant change and transformation topics relevant for our wonderful food, beverage and FMCG industry. I hope you enjoy this podcast. This episode of the Food Mentor Podcast is brought to you by Cubby House Canteen, Australia's leading kids lifestyle brand, now supplying delicious, artificial colour and preservative-free gingerbread cookies around Australia. Community, kindness and connection is what the Cuppy House Canteen brand stands for and in partnership with Kids Helpline, we'll provide little people with little snacks and a big social impact. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Food Mentor Podcast. David Burns is my name. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Friska Wiria, who is a change thought leader, very well connected and very influential in this change and transformation topic. Welcome, Friska. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on our podcast. Why don't we kick off with uh, introducing yourself and giving everyone a little bit of an insight into your background and what you do today? Mm. So if I were to explain it in one sentence, I help leaders of global organizations build future fit organizations so they can execute with confidence. Um, when I, when people often get confused, what does a change manager actually do? Well, changes come in all shapes and sizes, right? Everybody's talking about AI. That's a massive change that's impacting us. Uh, we've seen also changes in the form of global restructures. You've seen a lot of M&A activity um, in these past two years, especially as a result, as we came out of COVID, there could be a culture change or there could be um, something completely different, such as uh, a completely new strategy. So, for example, one of my clients is a big engineering company. They're moving to a sustainability-centric ethos. So that influences everything, not just people's roles, but the clients they go after, um, the type of work they 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 want to be known for, and the type of skills that they build. So should the changes come in all shapes and sizes. I've been doing this for 10 years, um, and, and I've also diversified into speaking, workshop, facilitation, um, and and other coaching um, for teams, executives, and large businesses. Amazing, that's great. And what was the saying? The only constant is change. <laughs> Death, taxes, and change. Taxes and change. So we we were chatting just before. I'd love to get your views on. Um, I've been involved in transformational change primarily through the sort of you know corporate with Coles and BP Australia. So. Um, you know, quite familiar with certain elements, certainly not to your degree, but I found, um, I think it's quite well documented, correct me if I'm wrong, that the word, you know, you hear the word fear is often yep. uh, one of the biggest barriers uh, for change, um, yep. which is, you know, natural human behaviour. But I'd love your, love your views on that and, you know, what, what are some strategies that organisations and people can adopt to help overcome fear when it comes to embracing change? Mm-hmm. The first step is to shift mindsets through education. So people fear what they don't know. 
And the more you can educate them on exactly what is changing, how it's going to impact them, this reduces the fear of the unknown. So it sounds so simple, but many organizations skip this step and just go straight to telling people, here's what's going to happen. But they (laughs) need to be educated through that process. Um, The third is community and network support. Like change is easier when we have a buddy to change with. I mean, this is why people hire personal trainers, right? Someone to keep them accountable. So it's also less scary if you've got a friend. And last but not least, you cannot underestimate the power of role models. So a leader's job is not just to sign the checks and get up at a town hall and saying, hey, this is the new direction we're going in. That's why they get paid the big bucks. Uh, So people look to them to get an indication of what's important to the organization. So a leader's role is extremely important. I mean, I've said this many times, everything a leader says, does, is seen to be doing can make or break the success of the change. So those are my top three. No, that's excellent. So just um, a question for you on, so, you know, lots of individuals working corporately who have a passion and desire to do something for themselves, but are obviously a little bit resistant primarily because of this fear element that we're talking about here. So, you know, perhaps they don't have the networks that large corporate organisations do, what what would you suggest would be the best approach for, you know, an individual who's been working corporately for 20 years like me <laughs> and, um, and you know, and is, is thinking or passionate about embarking on their own thing but it just got this, this, this fear in the back of their mind? I think that a lot of the time the fear that we have in our heads is worse than the reality. So I would find people who have actually done it before you. So figure out what you want to do find out who's succeeded and learn from them, buddy up with them. Um, A network is really essential. You've seen um, Jane Luz, for example, she created a network on Facebook called Like-Minded Bitches. Like that's grown from like 10 people to I think 25,000. So anything you could ever want is in that that group. So find, find that. And lastly, break it down into chunks. Don't just say, I want to start a new business. Like break it down to small steps because these small steps, when executed, build motivation for more change. So it could be think of a business name, register an ABN, right? All these little small steps, it just gets you more comfortable with moving forward rather than being frozen by the scale of the change that you're trying to tackle. That's I love that advice. That's that's really fabulous. Um, I have a question around... um, established uh, startup or small to medium companies that have been operating for quite a few years and you know really just haven't got the traction that they really would have desired often because the brand or product proposition they have is is just not appropriate and i find a lot of the entrepreneurs and startups are very resistant to say you know what i think i got this wrong i'm going to try again whether that's a you know a fear of failure or whatever that might be what would you any advice you would give to these this crowd This is a bit of a balancing act because it depends, right? The difference between a winner and a loser, the winner just tried one more time, but they tried something slightly different. I mean, if you look at Einstein, if you look at Edison, the guy that created electricity, they tried doing things the wrong way a thousand times before they finally succeed. So sometimes you're actually not flogging a dead horse, you're just flogging the wrong horse. And that's why it's important to discuss upfront what are the KPIs and the metrics that need to be achieved in order for us to say, yep, this is worth plowing more effort, more money, more resources into the idea. Or actually, if this and this and this happens, we're going to change tact. So agreeing on those variables upfront will save a lot of heartache and unnecessary investment down the line. And I think the word failure, people have a knee 
knee-jerk reaction to that. Oh, I mean, who wants to be called a failure, right? But any innovation, any learning, any growth came from something not working. So we need to reframe that. And the first step is to cultivate a learning culture. And that's easier said than done. Um, so my background is mining, engineering, uh, oil and gas, where failure was like boom, boom, like that's not something to be rewarded, but yet they wanted to be more innovative. So they had to change the way they recognized, rewarded and acknowledged people, right? People had to be rewarded for just trying, trying the attempt at something new, not just when it works, because innovation has a very high degree of failure. So we have to start right from the culture. Um, we have to actually celebrate failure. It's not just saying, hey, let's be more innovative. So there's a company in the Netherlands. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but every Friday they have a celebration. It's called Fuck Up Fridays, excuse me, <laughs> friend. But, but they literally go into the organization, all right, everybody, tell us everything that, that didn't work. But the point is they learned from it. So it's actually celebrated. And if you're serious about doing something new and making sure you cut your losses and trying a new approach, then you need to do these things. So I think we can learn a lot from Michelin star restaurants. So I, I, I actually wrote about this, how they're a great example of a future fit organization. In a Michelin restaurant, the definition of failure is if you pass a dish that looks like crap to the customer. So they don't spend a lot of time pointing fingers, playing the blame game. The whole thing gets thrown out and you start again. Organizations don't do that. We spend a lot of time finger pointing and blaming. So if we could adopt that mindset that failure just happens and it's okay that it happens, the most important thing is that you learn from it so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, 100%. That's that's fabulous. And I've, I think my own experience that it can also be really, really small um, enhancements and tweaks, whatever that might be, that can make an enormous, uh, an enormous difference. Um, let's move on to uh, technology. Obviously, uh, technology and technological advancements is key in terms of people you know, hanging on and embracing change. Obviously with AI and chat GPT, I hear a lot of, I hear and see a lot of dialogue about, you know, this industry is going to disappear, whether it be copywriting or graphic design. Um, and then, you know, as you said earlier on to me when we were talking before that you either you either em em embrace this change for and put a positive spin on it, it's going to advance, uh, enhance my work life or it's going to be detrimental. What are, you, what are your views on this topic, Frisco? I think we had the same fear when calculators came to be, right? Everyone's like, oh, calculators <laughs> are going to replace accountants. Guess what? There's still a lot of accountants. So I don't think it's actually going to annihilate jobs. It'll just change them. It'll just mean instead of being a doer, you'll be more of an analyzer, an editor, an auditor. So jobs will still be around, but what they look like, maybe a little bit different. And I'm, and I'm not going to pretend that some jobs aren't going to be impacted, like really low-level manual jobs, of course, um, they'll be displaced, but then it's an opportunity for that person to start learning how to use these technology skills to reimagine a, a new career for themselves. So I'm, I myself use it a lot. Um, it's helped me do more without the help of an assistant, uh, of a change management assistant, of a change analyst. So, yeah. I think there's there's pros and cons of anything, and I think there's a lot of fear out there. Yeah, no, absolutely, there is indeed. So, Frisco, for larger organisations, um, you know, the cultural change aspect and the, the trans transformational change of the culture is probably more relevant for larger organisations. What are, what are some of the the um, 
events that happen in an organisation that prompt the need to change the culture. Again, with the, with the larger organisations, the performance of the organisation, if, if a business is doing their business planning for the next year and we've got you know, terrible historic performance, then that's often an impetus to look at a major change of, in one way, shape or form, I would imagine, Friska. So there's there's off there's indicators right so um, there's a Gallup survey done that the cost of disengagement in Australia is thirty four percent of someone's salary. So in one year, all Australian businesses, the cost of disengagement and and disengagement can be like a person working slower than than usual. Um, they've just checked out. They've checked out, clocked out, not emotionally there. It costs this country twenty seven billion dollars. That's a lot of money. So you know yeah. that you need to change your culture when, A, people are leaving, <laughs> yeah. so there's turnover. B, your engagement survey results are down the toilet. You know, something's not working there. Um, C, your recruitment costs have gone up through the roof, so you just aren't attracting the kind of candidates that you want. Um, and you can kind of, when you walk the floor and just observe be a fly on the wall, you kind of can tell when a company needs to change their culture. Because um, key messages aren't really landing, and also there's a big disconnect between leaders, who, so the decision makers, whoever's in the boardroom, versus the people that are actually on the ground on the shop floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. And your approach, Frisco, with your line of work, how, how would your approach differ to a large corporate organisation versus you know as a small business or even an, you know an entrepreneur? What would your approach be in terms of how you would apply the best outcome for either either organisation or entrepreneur? So for a large organisation, it needs a lot more structure and a lot more detail. You can't just wing it <laughs> just because yeah. there's so many stakeholders. So that is the key difference. Whereas if it's a smaller business, you're more nimble, you have flexible frameworks, um, use agile methodologies, things happen a lot faster. Um, in terms of communication also, you need to rely heavily on formal channels in large organisations because that gets the most eyeballs, whereas in smaller ones, you rely on your informal networks. You rely on the relationships so you, you, can, you have the time to understand who's the most influential communicator and you can enlist them more easily. Um, so those are the main differences. And I think also in a larger um, organisation, you have usually support from HR, support from IT to develop, for example, structured change management training programs. You can address, address employee concerns and help HR facilitate that. In a small organisation, usually one person wears a lot of caps, um, so things, things, things are piled onto an already big plate, which can make it even challenging, even if you've got 50 people, because then there's a lot more personalities in the room um, and people have a, lo- a louder voice also in smaller organisations. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Frisco, the role of uh, leadership in uh, 2024 and beyond, um, how, is that, how is that required to evolve, do you think, in a, in, particularly in a large organisation setting, the, you know, the leaders in the role? How has that changed over the last decade, would you, would you say? So there's a quote by the head of the London School of Economics, Dame Madame Shafiq, and she says, in the past, jobs were about the head um, and then they were about the hands, but in the future, jobs will be about the heart because in this hybrid world where some people are in the office, some people at home, sometimes you may not ever see anyone, the importance of relational intelligence, of EQ, 
of really effective communication which transcends cultural and geographic boundaries is going to be even more important. So it's not the old school manager that's, you know, watching hours instead of outcomes. So it'll be very much more focused on the people skills. Yeah, excellent. So that is absolutely fabulous insight. I really appreciate your time. Um, And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Frisco.